If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Nothing. Brash, bald-faced blasphemy. Question everything. I find it extremely hard to imagine. Open your eyes. It is quite all right to be an atheist. The fastest growing group of people in the country has been measured as being those who have no belief or who are atheists. You don't have to be apologetic or quiet about it. Challenge the opposition. You see religion on a hundred fronts losing the argument. And start thinking. This is The Thinking Atheist Worldwide. Today's show is brought to you by our patrons on Patreon, and thank you so much for the support. If you're not sure what Patreon is, it's a way for content creators or producers and hosts to be able to fund their work by having people who benefit from the work 
become their patrons or supporters. And you can determine the temperature of that support, how much you want to support for how long, you know, what's your limit every single month, blah, blah, blah. But it makes a difference. It's allowed me to do what I do full time. So that plus the sponsorships is sort of how I make a living and how I'm able to continue to do what I do for the Thinking Atheist. So if you like the shows and you'd like to support the work, you can go to patreon.com slash Seth Andrews to become a patron. And thank you so much for all the support. I'll start off here by saying that uh, because this has proven such a rich topic with so many people providing so many different perspectives and wanting to tell their stories and whatnot, that I'm dividing this show into two sections. We'll do part one today and part two next Tuesday. I am one of six kids. I've got two older siblings. They were well out of the house by the time I can really remember much. Uh, two younger and including an adopted younger sister. And then a twin. I have a twin sister who's five minutes older than I am. And, you know, looking back, we were spanked whenever we made a mistake. It wasn't, it wasn't an oppressive home environment. I mean, it was absolutely a loving home environment and a safe one and a largely happy one. But we know we had those moments where we'd screw up. We'd make a mistake, we'd backtalk, we'd disobey. And ironically, it wasn't dad we were most afraid of. It was always mom. Like if mom ever said, you just wait till your father gets home, you go back in your room and think about it. And we knew that dad would be the one to administer the punishment. We would outwardly protest. Oh, no, please not dad. Please don't let it be dad. And under the surface, we were thinking, oh. Phew, thank God. His dad would just walk in and he'd close the door and he'd be like, All right, what'd you do? Well, I did this, Dad. Oh, well, you shouldn't have done that. Don't do it again, okay? All right. And tell your mom that I spanked you or tell her I punished you. Okay. You know, I mean, it was just totally that way. Mom was really the disciplinarian. She was the the enforcer, you know, and not in, I mean, the word enforcer paints this picture. I mean, ours was a loving, happy home. We didn't live in fear of our parents, you know. We didn't want to get spanked. Mom, mom would spank us. And it was, you know, it was pretty intense. And as I went off to live my own life, you know, as an adult, and I would, even though I didn't have kids of my own, I've got stepkids, beautiful stepkids, but I'd never had children of my own. Being the product of a home with many kids, and we were often spanked for disobedience, I had an opinion that, you know, hey, it's just a healthy part of growing up. Sometimes you've got to spank a kid. I, my parents didn't enjoy it. Mom hated it. She just hated it. But she felt it was sort of her duty and that there had to be consequences. We had to fear making the mistake in some way, you know, so we wouldn't do it again. It wasn't egregious. We didn't have bruises or scars or any of those things. It was just, hey, this really stings. I should probably not do this again, you know. But it was kind of where I was. And as I grew up, as I got older... And I saw, especially in my conservative Christian culture, this narrative that, you know, these parents today, they're just so terrified of social services and political correctness that they won't even discipline their children. 
we need to bring spanking back because that means kids today will be better behaved. And they sure aren't. This was back when I used to buy in to that story that this generation is worse off than any generation in history. And of course, that's complete crap. It's completely bogus. It's completely unsubstantiated. And as I came out of my religious belief back in 2006, 2007, and I sort of emerged from the cloud and started to look around, it's funny, you you start to reevaluate the different positions that you have taken, many on religious grounds. This was me. You know, I am looked at things like the death penalty. What's my position on that? Well, wait a minute. I need to reevaluate. What about gay rights? What about the rights of women and their own bodies? All these types of things I had to go and take a fresh look at. And corporal punishment became one of those things where I thought, well, hang on just a second. Why did I think this? Why did I believe this? Why did I think that spanking was a healthy part of child rearing? Well, a whole lot of that philosophy was Bible-based. You know, those verses out of uh, Proverbs. Proverbs 13, 24, he that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him diligently. Proverbs nineteen eighteen: chasten thy son while there is hope and let not thy soul spare for his crying. Proverbs twenty two fifteen: foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Proverbs 23.13, Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. The verse out of the New Testament that talks about physical punishment. Hebrews 12.6 and 7 says, The Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? Well, you know, you come to a point in your life when you're no longer bound to this uh, scriptural and or religiously cultural model for how to discipline a child. And you think, hey, wait a minute, you know, I I should reevaluate this as well. I should take a fresh look at it. And I can already tell you on this broadcast that opinions are going to be very emotional. They're going to be very passionate. And the comment section is probably just going to go insane as people debate whether or not spanking is abuse, whether there's any merit to it. Is it effective? But ultimately, at the end of the day, I want this show to do a couple of things. First of all, I want to use this broadcast to reveal much of the damage that is done in the name of God by parents who do put a hand to their children. And these accounts are legion. And we're going to look at the research and the science and the data, which I think is what a good, healthy, rationalist approach to the subject should be. And in the last portion of the broadcast, I'm going to bring on Janet Heimlich. She's the author of the book, Breaking Their Will, Shedding Light on Religious Child Maltreatment. She's written a whole book on this subject, and she has a lot to say about it. And she's going to help me kind of anchor the broadcast in the second half of this show. Regardless, whatever perspectives you bring to the table, whatever opinions you have, let me encourage you that we all approach this in good faith. We all approach this with goodwill, with a desire to walk away with the best ideas possible when it comes to the discipline and the raising and the nurturing and the cultivating of young lives. I'll start with an email in from Jordan who said this, since becoming a parent myself last year, this issue's been nagging at me. 
While my wife and I have already agreed to never spank our child, I'm still trying to make sense of my own childhood experience with corporal punishment. To be clear, I do not consider myself to have been physically abused. I've heard the horror stories. My story doesn't belong in the same book, perhaps not even on the same shelf. But there's a wide, ambiguous area between abuse, call CPS, Child Protective Services, and hippie parents. This is where I, and I suspect many of your listeners, find themselves unsure of what to make of our experiences. My parents received much of their counsel from the varied works of Dr. James Dobson. They had a single, impressively sized paddle. They always made an effort to calm down and consult with one another before paddling my brother or me. With us being homeschooled, there was plenty of time for such protocol. Spanking was the go-to punishment until around age 12, when they began substituting it with lost privileges for TV or video games. Paddle-worthy infractions ranged from back talk to being disrespectful to broken windows or saying, oh my God. Until I became an atheist in my late 20s, I only said, oh my God, once. The spanking I received for that little slip-up has stayed with me for over 20 years. Like much religiously motivated punishment, the spanking was ostensibly for my own good. It wasn't because they were furious and wanted to hit something. They clearly didn't enjoy it. Their primary motivation was to prevent us from turning out badly. That said, I distinctly remember my mother repeatedly mentioning, with deep conviction and perhaps some worry, how she would one day stand before God and be made to answer for how she'd raised us and for how we turned out. That's the real problem I have with what my parents did. It's not the spanking itself. Sure, it wasn't good. It was probably even wrong. What angers me is the innocuous, imaginary religious crimes for which we were often punished. The guilt, shame, and fear over these rebellions against the supreme ruler of the universe are what stay with me. I'll end with one particularly disturbing example of this. It doesn't even involve corporal punishment. Non-corporal punishment, I suppose. My brother and I were being difficult one day at homeschool. Our father was at work. At the end of her rope, our mother... Wavering between tears and heavenly resolve, told us how disrespectful and disobedient sons were punished in the Old Testament. God commanded that they be killed, she said. I can still feel that sinking dread in the pit of my stomach. She wasn't threatening to harm us. If God had appeared right there and commanded our execution, she couldn't have brought herself to do it. All three of us knew that, but she wanted us to know how seriously God took disobedience, at least back then. And that day I felt very lucky to have been born in America in the 20th century, because if I had been born back then, I knew that God would have told my parents to kill me. Jordan, thanks so much for the message. Jordan mentions Dr. James Dobson. Dr. Dobson is a psychologist and founder of Focus on the Family, which is a conservative Christian organization founded back in 1977. There was an article on its website. It's still out there if you want to find it. It's called The Biblical Approach to Spanking. 
This is a window in regard to the biblical view of corporal punishment, at least according to Dr. Dobson. The article says this. Regardless of the method, the Bible's word on discipline clearly demands that parents be responsible and diligent in spanking, but strongly prohibits physical abuse of any kind. Obviously, the biblical approach is balanced, reasonable, and controlled. So let's get very practical. What does it look like to spank in a way that obeys Scripture, modifies attitudes and behavior, and actually strengthens the bond between parent and and child. And this article lists seven steps. I'm not going to read every word of this article because quite a few of these steps are fleshed out and they have multiple paragraphs, but I'll give you enough information here so you can see what the point is, okay? The seven steps that help you discipline your child without fear of overstepping your bounds. Number one, clear warning. Your first interaction with your child about a situation should be verbal. A child should never be blindsided by the discipline you hand down to her. It should always be preceded by a clear warning, both for her sake and for yours. Two, establish responsibility. It's important for your child to own up to his misbehavior. Many parents make the mistake of asking, why did you do that? That's not a good question. Why doesn't help him admit his responsibility in the situation. Besides being a theological no-brainer, your child is a sinner with a predisposition to disobedience which he inherited from you and every other generation all the way back to the first parents in the garden, that question gives him room to inject shades of gray into his understanding and explanations. He'll begin to rationalize, and you'll lose sight of the real issue. Don't ask why. Here's a better way to go about it. And here's a situational. Johnny, what did you do wrong? Nothing. Everyone was going over to that house, and I just went in for a minute. Try again. What did you do wrong? I only went into, I'm going to give you one more chance. What did we talk about? I'm not supposed to go over there for any reason. So what did you do wrong? I disobeyed you. Do you see how, with that kind of conversation, you're calm, controlled, and not trying to punish. You're trying to help him learn. Remember to always focus on the child's behavior, not his identity. If Johnny says, I'm a bad person or you don't like me anymore, affirm how much he is loved and how special he is. But turn his attention immediately back to his actions. Number three, avoid embarrassment. Never embarrass your children in front of their friends, siblings, or even strangers. Four, communicate grief. I want my children to know that more than being angry, I'm disappointed and heartbroken when they disobey. Early on in their lives, I let them know I trusted them, and when that trust has been violated, they need to know that the relationship is wounded. Number five, flick your wrist. This is an extremely practical method that will save you a lot of second-guessing. Remember the point of a spanking. It's to sting, to provide a painful deterrent to misbehavior, not To injure. The Bible never implies that the rod of discipline should be violent. It offers no specifics about how hard a spanking should be, and there's no reason to assume that it's talking about a brutal form of punishment. Jeez, I'm reading this, and of course, I'm listening to this rationalization. I just shake my head. 
The Bible doesn't actually say not to kick the shit out of your kid, but there's no reason to assume that it would. Just the opposite, in fact. Back to the article. A parent who reaches back and swings hard is acting out of anger and frustration, not out of love and desire for the child's welfare. That's unbiblical by anyone's definition. Unless you read the Old Testament. When you spank, use a wooden spoon or some other appropriately sized paddle and flick your wrist. That's all the force you need. It ought to hurt. An especially difficult goal for mothers to accept. And it's okay if it produces a few tears and sniffles. If it doesn't hurt, it isn't really discipline. And ultimately, it isn't very loving because it will not be effective in modifying the child's behavior. Have the child lean over his bed and make sure you apply the discipline with a quick flick of the wrist to the fatty tissue of the buttocks, where a sting can occur without doing any damage to the body. You want to be calm, in control, and focused as you firmly spank your child, being very careful to respect his body. Number six. Sincere Repentance When my kids were small, I'd let them sit in my lap after a spanking and cry for a while. That was a great time to model for them the love behind the discipline. Then after a few minutes, I'd ask, Are you ready to talk about this with Daddy and with God? When I received a nod and could tell repentance and genuine sorrow had occurred, I revisited the issue and asked them, what did you do wrong? I wanted to help them clearly relate the discipline to the behavior, not to them as a person. Then I would ask, with whom do you need to make things right? Often they'd realize they needed to make things right, not just with me and with God, but also to apologize to a brother or sister. Then I'd take the opportunity to coach them in how to approach God, what to say, how to confess their sin, and how to receive forgiveness. When they said something like, I'm sorry, God, for whatever, please forgive me, I would tell them how special they were, both to me and to God, and that they'd been disciplined to correct misbehavior, not because they were a bad person. Those dialogues trained them for a life of relating to God humbly and honestly as no other experience could. And in later years, my children told me that some of the times they'd felt closest to me were during those periods of forgiveness and reconciliation. And finally, number seven, unconditional love. For my part, some of the most intimate, touching moments I ever had with my kids were right after exercising discipline. I'm sorry, I have to digress for just a second. They become penitent and submissive, and they just collapse in your arms, and then you feel an intimate, touching moment with your child. Sorry. Back to the article. So after disciplining your child, let me encourage you to take him in your arms and pray. Thank you, Lord, for my precious boy, for the wonderful way you've made him, and for all the gifts you've given him. Please help him remember what's right and give him the strength to do it. Thank you that he's taken responsibility for what he did. We know you've taken a big eraser and wiped it off the board. You've forgiven him and made him absolutely clean, and I forgive him too. Then give him a big hug and go do something fun. He'll know he's still accepted and that there's absolutely no barrier between the two of you. 
Again, that's an article called The Biblical Approach to Spanking from the website Focus on the Family. This particular article written by Chip Ingram. I've got Jennifer on Skype. You're on the Thinking Atheist Radio podcast. How's it going? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm well. We're talking about corporal punishment, sparing the rod. What do you think? Well, I think that uh, before we get too far into the topic, that it's important to acknowledge the sensitivity around discussing the use of physical punishment. I mean, for a lot of people, this is really a trigger topic. And people have a really visceral reaction when you start talking about spanking and child rearing. And I think especially um, you can you can think about the belief in the use of spanking as a parenting tool, very similar to a belief in religion or other types of cultural indoctrination. There's actually a lot of similarities. So for many of your listeners that were raised in religious homes, they probably remember that religious indoctrination can be a very difficult thing to crawl out of. No matter how many facts are provided, no matter how much scientific evidence you're presented with or a lack thereof, until you're ready, some pretty classic cognitive dissonance can occur. Um, Belief in spanking is very similar to this. Those beliefs are passed down through our families. Fight or flight kicks in, and most people want to dig their heels in before really listening to the facts and absorbing those facts. And, uh, you know, we know that statistically worldwide, around 80% of people, parents, think that spanking at, at times is okay. So many of your listeners may also believe that spanking is okay. And um, for those listeners, I would challenge them to try to be open to the science, uh, try to shut down that fight or flight response that's likely to happen when you start talking about this topic. And it makes sense. I mean, it's it's really complicated, um, especially if you were spanked as a child. It's likely that the person who spanked you was a parent, someone who loved you and provided for you, someone who you trusted, someone who's there to guide you, and you probably have a great relationship with them. And then you have people telling you from a scientific perspective that this type of punishment is likely harmful. And that's a really confusing message to wrap your brain around. That sounds like something you've spoken to before. I mean, are you approaching this as a parent yourself or someone who's done background on the subject? Or Yeah, absolutely. Both. Um, I am a parent. I have a six and a half year old boy. I also am a pediatric nurse. I used to practice uh, clinically in the pediatric intensive care unit. I uh, was a clinical researcher on childhood vaccines for many years. I also have a master's in health policy and um, am studying parental models as a method to impact future societal violence. Um, So this is something that I'm really interested in. I had spoken on my social media pages that this show was coming up, and I was looking for the perspective, not just of those who were against it, but those who were for. And you're right about the fact that it's just a hot button. I mean, it didn't take long before the comments went to oh, yeah, well, if you don't spank your kids, we'll see them in jail kind of thing. I mean, it was just, or vice versa. I mean, people are like automatically, if you're spanking a child, it's child abuse and you're an abuser. How dare you? You're a, you know, you're this, you're that, you're a coward, you're a bully. Yeah. And when we're speaking at the extremes of the pendulum swings, we're not really having any conversations. And I don't think we're really understanding. Many people who spank their children, they're not abusers. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, and they, and they, I think one thing that we all have in common as parents is that we want the best for our children. And that paradigm of how we define best is often passed down to us. And, you know, we have the opportunity to learn from past generations. I mean, think about it. When in, in previous generations, we used to parents used to think it was OK to, to smoke and drink while they were pregnant. Um, they didn't put their kids in seat belts because that's what everybody was doing. And we know differently now. The science tells us differently now. And we have the opportunity to really listen to those facts and modify our behavior and, and impact future generations of people. I mean, think about it. You're not just raising your kid. You're raising the next future leaders. You're raising the next future police officers, the next future teachers. It has a huge impact. Um, the way that you parent is probably one of the biggest impacting factors on your child um, and, and how they turn out as an adult. So being confused about the issue of spanking is not unlikely. You know, people were raised this way. They, they think that it helps. We know from a scientific perspective that that's not the case, but um, people get confused because they think that that means that you just let your kids go out and do whatever they want. And that's actually not true at all. It's quite the contrary. When we're parenting, we have to choose healthy limit setting. And, and there's a plethora of resources out there for people to explore, to really understand alternative ways to discipline a child that, that, is, that actually doesn't involve hitting and the hitting, and I, I usually don't even like to use the word spanking. I think it's a euphemism for hitting. It's something we've become accustomed to in our culture. The hitting of kids, there's other alternatives out there, which um, will lead to not only less risk for poor outcomes, but will actually lead to improved behavior in your children. I can see through the radio, there are people who are, they're vibrating right now. They're, they're yes. jumping up and down. They're, they're looking for the phone number to call, the Skype number to call. They're, they're hammering out an email and they're angrily saying probably one of a few things I hear a lot of, and I've seen a lot of, you know what? I was spanked and it's a good thing I was. Otherwise I would have been just unruly and, and I would have been out of control. There seems to be this narrative that if you don't spank, you're allowing you know, Dennis the Menace to go and destroy the place and you don't set boundaries and you're not actually parenting anymore. Now you're trying to be a buddy instead of right. a guardian and authority figure. Right. And and I would. Uh, so there's a couple object, uh, of, of comments and objections I would have for that one. Number one, just because you don't spank doesn't mean that there aren't limits. There's lots of limits that you can set as a parent. Um, you can. And, and I will I will say um, if you look into positive discipline, a lot of the limits that we set as parents are necessary for healthy relationships with our children and really focus on nurturing that relationship with the child, um, which seems contrary to our, our um, understanding of discipline, which actually the root of discipline comes from the concept of teaching and guidance. It has nothing to do with hitting. Then an, another um um, objection I would raise, you know, the whole anecdotal evidence of, um, well, I was spanked as a child and I turned out okay. Well, first of all, from a scientific perspective, we know there is not a clear cutoff for what constitutes spanking that is okay versus what will actually leave a negative effect on the brain. So depending on the frequency and the developmental timing of the child, there are likely to be consequences that can be long lasting. And we don't know 
how you would have turned out if you weren't spanked. But what we do know is that based on the science, you're at an increased risk for a myriad of problems, which include things like increased aggression, mental health problems, cognitive difficulties, even at risk for having a lower IQ, believe it or not. And as a parent, I would say, you know what? Okay isn't good enough. I don't want my kid to be okay. I want my child to thrive. I want him to understand the difference between respect and fear, which can be very confusing when you're trying to use physical discipline, physical hitting to actually uh, discipline a child. And I want him to understand that it's not okay for others to violate his body. I want him to understand that authority, while it should be respected, shouldn't some cases be respectfully challenged. And I'm sure you can understand the danger that we put our kids in when they feel powerless and that adults are the ultimate authority and should never be challenged. Um, I think a perfect example of that is some of the sexual molestation that's happened in the church. Um, Those are authority figures. And um, it's a scary situation that we put our children in when we teach them that those authority figures can actually hurt their bodies. We'll flesh some of this out even more with Janet Heimlich when she joins me for part two of the broadcast next Tuesday. And uh, you'd mentioned the science. We'll get into some of the recent studies and the data coming in in regard to spanking. Uh, Data coming out of the University of Austin and I believe the University of Michigan. So we'll talk some about that. Jennifer, thanks so much for your perspective and for being a part of the broadcast. Great to have you. Thanks, Seth. I appreciate it. This is a Pandora's box and... I was just looking at some of the comments that were posted on social media. Michael said, I was spanked as a child. I don't feel it affected me negatively. I only had to spank my child a handful of times. He's 16 years old now, very respectful, and tells me every day that he loves me. Nim said, punishing your own children should be the ultimate last resort, certainly not on the bottom. A short slap to the legs should be sufficient, and only if it's preceded by a warning as to why it may happen. Barb said, as a child, I would take a spanking with a hand before being stuck in my room on a Monday night when the monkeys were on TV. I remember stomping my feet in my room and screaming because I had to miss my Monday night shows and I was in love with the monkeys. A spanking would have been over, but a punishment lasted for hours. Jennifer said, I was spanked and I turned out fine. I spanked my daughter when she did things that were socially unacceptable or dangerous. After she was about four, I didn't have to spank her anymore. She learned to behave properly. I cannot say the same for other children in my life who were not spanked. Helen said, I was spanked as a child. My mom was the spanker, but she always maintained that you never hit a child anywhere except on their bums, and you only use your hands so you know how hard you're spanking. My dad only spanked me once for throwing rocks at a passing car. He held me between his legs, bent over, bum where he could see it, and used a running shoe. Deanne said, I was spanked, not often, but when I was, it was for good reason, and I love and respect my parents more than anything in the world. I'm not traumatized. I'm not violent. I'm not anything but a better person. I really don't see what the big uproar about spanking is, honestly. I think we have way too many little brats anymore who think they can get away with anything. There's an article posted on CBS News that came out in April of this year. The title of the article is 
Five-decade study reveals fallout from spanking kids. Just a few pieces from the article. Spanking a child leads to bad behaviors, not the better manners some parents may think a smack on the bottom will elicit. A new study suggests. Researchers from the University of Texas at Austin and the University of Michigan analyzed 75 studies involving more than 150,000 children that spanned 50 years. There is a wide swath of children, and the findings are incredibly consistent, study author Dr. Elizabeth Gershoff told CBS News. This shows there is a correlation between spanking and negative outcomes, and absolutely no correlation between spanking and positive outcomes. Spanking doesn't make kids behave better right away, and it leads to worse behavior in the long run, said Gershoff an associate professor of human development and family sciences at the University of Texas at Austin. And spanked kids are more likely to be aggressive and antisocial. The irony, she says, is that many parents spank when their kids are aggressive. So the child thinks you can use spanking to get what you want. Kids learn that. Even though some may think spanking is an antiquated parenting technique at this point in time, over the past decade or two, parenting books have touted a gentler, kinder parenting technique involving positive reinforcement. Gershoff said spanking still goes on in lots of households. There's research showing by the time most kids get to high school, at least 85% have been spanked. So most kids... Are being spanked. They may not be spanked as often as, say, their parents' generation was paddled or with objects, said Gershoff, but spanking is alive and well. They define spanking as an open handed hit on the behind or extremities and reported it was linked with 13 out of 17 outcomes, all negative, including defying parents, acting aggressive, and exhibiting mental health problems and cognitive. Difficulties, the study published in the Journal of Family Psychology, looks specifically at spanking alone versus lumping in all forms of physical punishment. And again, that's available on CBS News. The article is called A Five-Decade Study Reveals Fallout from Spanking Kids. I've got Sarah on Skype. Sarah, you are on the Thinking Atheist radio podcast. How's it going? Lisa, thank you. It's going well. Okay, we're talking about... Corporal punishment in the name of God. What's your perspective? I came from a fundamentalist Christian background. My parents married when one day my dad came up to my mom on campus in college and said, God said, I'm going to marry you. Um, (laughs) And so they got married and... That's quite a pickup line, isn't it? <laughs> I not, know, it's isn't not it? just you're my destiny and I'm your destiny, but God <laughs> said you are going to be my wife. Uh, of course. And of course, my mom swooned. Yeah, immediately. Yeah. Um, so she came from a religious, a little bit of a religious background as well. And uh, so they got married and things went downhill quick. He referred to her kind of in a lot of biblical terms as his servant. He quoted the scripture a lot, you know, wives submit to your husbands. And then from there, they started having kids, and then it became, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child. So, you know, things like whoever does not discipline his son hates him, that sort of thing. And, and so they, they started to spank us, or he started to spank us pretty young. So how many kids in the family? So we have four uh, kids in the family, and then one, one was deceased, all sisters. 
Is the deceased sibling part of the story here today or? The deceased sibling is part of the story. So we were actually, all four of us were homeschooled. My mom homeschooled us. We were taught pretty much strictly creationism at my dad's kind of demand uh, while he worked. And when he came home, he would spank us, quote, quote, but I'd like to (laughs) refer to it as beatings. Um, He'd spank us at the slightest provocation while kind of justifying it with Bible verses. So we heard a lot of those like, spare the rod, spoil the child. Whoever does not discipline his son or daughter hates him over and over. And there was a lot of ramifications for that. We all became very nervous. Uh, It was hard for us to look people in the eye to speak and kind of to carry out normal tasks. We almost never left the house. Sarah, when the discipline was happening, though, I mean, was was he enraged? Was this a sort of a byproduct of a bad temper and he used the Bible to excuse it or I believe did he think was, this is his parental duty kind of thing? You know, he, he did believe it was his parental duty a hundred percent. And that is true. But I also think that he had an predisposition to just, he was very rageful, a very rageful person and Christianity suited him perfectly. Did you find yourself avoiding him? Did you Keep yourself out of his particular circle so that, you know, you wouldn't accidentally provoke him in some way? Of course. Yeah, we, we, we tried. A lot of the time we did have to hide um, because if something was out of order, say one of us was a bunch of little girls, you know, if there was a tiniest mess, like a speck of dirt, really, <laughs> on the floor, he would become completely enraged and start talking about, you know, how the evil needs to be beat out of the children you know, because it's God's righteous anger. <laughs> did he it, really it talk so like funny. this, Sarah? Did he really he did. say stuff like that? He did, As he, and was... he still does. He absolutely still does. I'm going to um, beat the campus, devil out of you. Is that kind of the vibe that you were that's getting? That's the vibe. That's a, exactly the vibe. And we had a couple other homeschooled families we had talked to, and that was also their reasoning for, you know, spanking their children. But he was also, I think, people who are drawn to this fundamentalist, literal interpretation of the Bible are there is something wrong with them. <laughs> I do think they had something wrong with them before they discovered that they could use scripture in this way. So you lost a sibling, in your opinion, partially because, or perhaps in whole, because of the conditions she was raised in? I believe so. I believe so. Um, this part is a, a little sensitive. Um, but well, you only share as much as you want. Oh, okay? no, no, that's okay. I was going to, I'll tell you, I was going to tell you, I'm completely oh, okay, okay talking about this, but so she, she was his favorite. And so he was very mean to the rest of us, but we think that she was beat the most, which was strange. And so I think there are some, some, some of us think that she was, she might've been, you know, sexually abused as well. And, uh, she, she had, it seems like she had it kind of the, the worst in a way. Um, she became addicted to drugs very early, 12, 13, cocaine, meth, alcohol, of course. Um, me- you know, I said meth already. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. she developed schizophrenia and she could barely function. And I do feel as if it was the byproduct of being isolated from the rest of society, really, until we were around, until I was around 14, 13, when I went to school. I do feel as if it was it was that because we lived in fear of my dad, my mom as well. It was a very scary environment to grow up in. And when I was there, we we were just trying to kind of survive it. And then when, once I got out of the environment, I 
found out that we had all these kinds of quirks, all this kind of post-traumatic stress stuff. You know, I can't hear the name God without wincing, you know, now. Well, are you a God believer today or? No, I, I'm actually, I'm not. Um, I, I'm absolutely not. <laughs> now, those who say, well, the reason you rejected God is because you were shown a perverse image of God. You, know, you didn't get a chance to truly meet Jesus or God in well, the true and loving sense, right? Sure, I didn't. But I, at some point, I was, I did find comfort in that. And I did believe when it was all happening. But then I realized, I just kind of studied the environment. I studied the people and the way they treated themselves and others. And I think just at the core, it's a very, it's a very nonsensical. And, and so it's not only because I didn't meet the loving Christ-like kind of, it's not because I didn't experience that. It's because I, I think it doesn't make sense. <laughs> so you so, got past the emotional aspect of it and you I addressed did. it logically and in terms of the evidence. Would I that be a way to did. phrase it? Yes, what time? Uh, so you lost your sister at what age and how did it happen? She was 20, she was 21. She had finally got clean. Um, she had gone, my parents had sent, my dad had sent her to Jesus camp uh, for several years, which oh. didn't work. She came out more addicted than ever. <laughs> And she got clean off drugs, but then she got an abusive boyfriend, much like my dad. And the boyfriend knocked her hearing out of one of her ears. And she was, you know, obviously experiencing a lot of post-traumatic stress and all that. And, and she actually, one day my mom or my grandpa actually found her. She had bought a gun and she had shot herself. Um, and Sir, I was, I'm yeah. so sorry. I, I um those of us who hear the story struggle with the words to say to you, you know, Sarah, I'm, you know, I'm so very sorry. Seems like such a meager and kind of useless response. You know? Oh no, of course but, not. I totally, you know, people are at a loss for words. It, not that, you know, not everyone knows, but my close friends know, and they don't know what to say either. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, is it, is it okay to talk about it here in this very public forum? I mean, this is a radio show, Sarah. So I've always yeah. wanted to talk about this. I've never gotten the courage. I'm 26 and I've like my whole life. I've really have dreamed about saying something because on the cert, you know, no one would think this of me or my family. Now, you know, my sisters and my mom are very much separated. Well, most of my sisters you know, are entirely separated from my dad and my mom divorced him. So people would never think this just looking at us, you know, we appear very normal and it's always been my I've wanted to do it, you know, for years. So thank you for letting me. Are there instances where you still feel some damage? I mean, do you feel fear? Yes. Do you feel resentment? Do you feel, let's call it hatred? Do you feel any I of do those feel things? Hatred. I, I do feel hatred. I, I had a lot of problems once I, you know, it's kind of like when soldiers, you know, I'm not comparing myself to a veteran who served in war. Obviously that is completely different than what I've experienced, but I know they, they are strong when they're in the war and, you know, when they're in the face of the danger. But then afterwards, they have post-traumatic stress, flashbacks, nightmares, that kind of thing. And I had a lot of that. In college, I developed obsessive compulsive disorder and I had very bad insomnia. Um, it wasn't very convenient because I was a college athlete and I had to be, you know, up really early in the morning. And, you know, I had to study and all that. But I, I struggled with that. And I, re I did a lot of reading about it and I was able to see some therapists and talk about get some support. And that helped a lot. But I, you know, when I was right out of the situation, I, there's a story my mom tells me that was some of my swim coaches, you know, when I was around 12, 11, they said, Hey, you know, to her, we need to talk to you about something serious. Sarah, she sits in the corner and she mutters to herself and, and she can't 
she wrings her hands and she can't look at anybody in the eye. She doesn't interact with people. And yeah, I, I think that I've worked with that continually and, and really figured out, you know, figured out everything now at, at 26, but it was a long, hard road. It was hard. Well, um, the upside is, and this is just me sort of from this short conversation here on the radio, but I hear a lot of joy in your voice. You sound like uh, you found happiness and some good stuff. Yeah. I'm very happy. Yes. I'm, I think when you look at it from a, lo- a more logical perspective or when you kind of analyze your situation and you compare it to those that of others who've gone through similar things, I think there's completely hope <laughs> for all those suffering, you know, ex-Christians out there. There's a liberation to look in the mirror and say, Sarah, it wasn't your fault. You didn't do it wrong. You weren't a bad kid. You have value. Your life is yours to live. I mean, that's a pretty amazing moment to come to that tragically so many don't actually get to discover, huh? Absolutely, yes. And you know what? I feel incredibly lucky because I did have some people who really stepped in and took care of me. I have a lot of a couple father figures, you know, my friends, dads, some swim coaches I had that helped pull me out. And I I did, you know, I ended up doing great. And so did my other two of my sisters are also doing great. And the the one that was deceased, she didn't get that. I'm I'm sorry that she didn't get that opportunity. You know, she had a hard, a much harder time than me. But I think there's, you know, I feel very lucky. And I I am happy. I can say that I'm happy now. Well, Sarah, you're the happy ending to this story, you know, or at least one of the happy endings. And I'm glad to hear it. Thanks for sharing your perspective on the radio. It means a lot. Thank you so much, Seth. I really appreciate it. Let's take a second and, in a few different examples, go straight to the horse's mouth. Faithful Word Baptist Church is based in Tempe, Arizona. Its pastor is a longtime sort of a hub of controversy. His name is Steve Anderson, or Stephen Anderson. He's been pastor of Faithful Word for about 11 years. Back in 2009, this is the same guy that said he was praying for the death of President Obama. And the uh, church has actually been listed as an anti-gay hate group because of the pastor and the church's radical stands on gays based in the book of Leviticus. Pastor Anderson did a sermon about spanking. Here's just an excerpt. There are a lot of people who are Christians that use spanking as a form of discipline, but to them it's a last resort. It's something where they try everything else, and then if all else fails, they have these really rare spankings. You know, I don't believe in that. I I like to think of spanking as more like a first line of defense than a last resort, okay? And there are a lot of reasons why spanking is such an effective form of punishment for children. God is always right, okay? And one of the biggest reasons why a spanking is effective is that once it's over, it's over. Whereas when you use it as a last resort, what are you using up until then? Just a lot of anger, yelling, shouting, whatever else you're doing that lasts longer. People who use other forms of punishment, timeouts, groundation, uh, whatever the case may be, you know, a lot of these are punishments that go on and drag on. The great thing about a spanking is you go in, you get the spanking done, and then you move on with your life. And honestly, when I spank my children, usually two minutes later, they're smiling and happy and it's like nothing even happened. They're not upset at me. I'm not upset at them. Problem is solved. We move on with our lives and it provides closure to the situation. 
You may have heard of the American television show, The View. There's a Christian version. Obviously, if you've seen my speech, The Copycats, you realize there's a Christian version of almost everything that's popular in pop culture. There is a show called The Christian View. It features host Jackie Carpenter, Alyssa Boykin, Rebecca Keener, Don Mooring. A panel of women discuss today's hot topics from a Christian perspective. On Season 1, Episode 8 of The Christian View... The issue, the topic, the subject of spanking came up. There's nothing in the Bible that says if we spank our children that it needs to be violent. No. You know, with seven children, I think I can write a book on disciplining every type of child. I do. Good for you. I I discipline them. There you you go. I don't beat them up. You know, I'm I'm not even old-fashioned. My husband, matter of fact, he picks at me. I pop him. That's a tap. What is that? You know, my children, they don't even cry, you know? It's, oh, yeah. And, you know, I don't beat them till they cry. I'm you know, trying to get that out of them. You know, actually, I have one child. I can lift a hand, and she will just pass out. You know, I don't have to touch her. <laughs> Fortunately, I, my children, you know, they don't like spankings, you know? So they're pretty well-behaved, and they don't embarrass me in public, so I think we're doing a good job. <laughs> Here's a clip from extremely conservative talk radio host Michael Savage, who on one of his broadcasts, went off on a diatribe about spanking. Here's just a clip. We don't understand that children cannot be let to do everything they want to do. Doesn't mean you hit them, but you have to control them. Children are fundamentally like wild animals. And they need, you know, don't you? You don't know that? I mean, that's the first thing you do is teach a child, you know, not to mess their, the, the, the floor, go to the potty. It's called potty training. Liberals, you have trouble with, with potty training. They think that they're damaging the child by telling them not to, not, not to, do, it, to do it in the road. And now look at you, look around the society. These are undisciplined, millions of undisciplined children running around with iPhones. All they want to do is have sex, drugs, and rock and roll, day and night. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. They think that that, that explains the, the, the reason for human evolution. So what I'm saying is, where is the discipline? How are you disciplined? And it's a great topic. Okay, I want to camp out here for just a second. Have you noticed this tendency by many of these people to just sort of explain to their audiences that if children aren't spanked, they're automatically not in any other way being disciplined. They're running rampant in the streets. They're hanging from the chandelier. Liberal children are shitting in the streets. Did you catch that from Savage? No discipline, no spanking. They're all crazy. All they want to do is have sex and, and they have iPhones. What does that have to do with the conversation? The idea that because they were not spanked does not translate into they were never given guidelines or boundaries. Discipline was never given. They were never reined in. They were never guided and instructed. It's just crazy. It's a total straw man argument. But this is the argument that is being made. If you don't spank them, the whole world's gone crazy. This is just crazy times, crazy times. Well, that's a crazy argument. Secondly, and I heard a lot more of this broadcast Michael Savage had admitted to his audience that his father never spanked him. He was given verbal lashings, and he admitted to his audience that he carried a number of emotional scars from that, but it may have toughened him up. It may have helped make him a man, prepare him for the world. And he used the examples of some of the more brutal cultures in the third world where they put these young boys through initiation rituals to become a man, and their physical scars actually play into the fact that it toughened them up and prepared them for manhood. But he talks about verbal abuse, and I want to stop for just a second and declare that there are many who are going to wonder if and when we're going to talk about 
not just the hand to flesh, but the verbal lashings. And we're probably not going to cover that very much on this broadcast, because it's such a rich topic, I think it deserves its own platform. I will say this, those that say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, I can think of very few more wrong-headed statements than that one. I don't subscribe to the idea that verbally, We have to keep everybody out there safe and comfortable. I just think that's crap. I wouldn't be doing what I do if I thought that was the truth. I myself came to a moment of epiphany when I was made uncomfortable, when I squirmed in my chair and had to reevaluate everything I once believed. I'm not talking about freedom of speech, freedom of expression, freedom of ideas. I'm not talking about differences of opinion. I'm not talking about any of that. So those in the comment section who are going to knee-jerk and just decide, I'm talking about triggers and all that other stuff. Just, no, that's not what I'm talking about. But I will say this. Language has tremendous power. Words can heal. Words can destroy. Some of the worst damage done to people can be done with language. Those people who say, oh, you know, they're just words. They only have the power that you give them. Well, that's that's drawing a very complex and sensitive issue in crayon, as far as I'm concerned. Words can change people's worlds for better or for worse. Words can scar people psychologically on the order of decades. They carry this stuff with them for the rest of their lives. Many people within the sound of my voice right now may be thinking of times when they were tremendously hurt or harmed by words said by another person, words said in anger, words said in desperation, words just said recklessly. Just because there's no physical contact doesn't mean the damage wasn't done. And I want to make that distinction and make that clear. Now, I see religious cultures, I see cultures all the time that use language to damage children. They program them to fear the invisible eye in the sky, to believe that they are corrupt and worthless and sinful and dirty and nasty and evil and deserving of hell. I remember one set of parents telling, teaching to their children that their children did not deserve happiness in this life. Right? Whatever you happen to get that makes you happy, that's a bonus. But you don't deserve happiness because you're a sinner. Because you're dirty and because you're filthy and you inherited this thing from Adam and Eve many generations ago. We are sinners in a sinful world. And if something good happens, well, that's just, wow, you really scored because you don't deserve it. That kind of stuff speaks to identity. It speaks to worth. It speaks to value. It speaks to the decisions they make as they grow into adults, what they expect and seek out for themselves, the kind of life partner they choose, how they raise their children. Whether or not they're going to live happy lives, all of this can be informed by words. You can harm a child by striking a child, yeah. You can do real damage to a child as well by saying, you're worthless. You're ugly. You're stupid. You're pathetic. How did you ever come from my womb? You're such a disappointment. You disgust me. And you know what? You disgust everybody else as well. Don't tell me that these words don't produce real damage. Had a message from Boone who said, I'm a Chinese descendant, born and grew up in Malaysia, married a German and working in Berlin. My wife and her family are Lutherans and I'm an atheist. 
This topic about disciplining the child has been a perennial topic between me and my wife for the longest time. I take the side of, for corporal punishment, my wife opposes it with a rage that I just stopped talking about it. LOL. The reason I'm for it, and please bear with me a little, the cane in Chinese education has been around for millennia, and the application of the cane on children is not arbitrary, as it is always being seen by Westerners when I explain this. My parents, for example, used the cane very sparingly with me and my siblings, but when it was applied, it was like we would be standing there and taking it willingly. It is typically given in a very serious manner, as in the child would be explained about what is wrong and warnings are given, and when the offense is repeated, a defense is allowed before the cane is used. Given not all parents are as cool-headed and it's not a perfect system, but for very serious problems with the child, a sharp skin pain, as we say, scratches the itch. I'm totally not for the random use of corporal punishment, especially not when the parents lost their head in a rage, but applying it rationally to an irrational child is something I'm okay with. Also, the cane that we apply in the Chinese part of the world are thin and very flexible rattan sticks, typically no more than 3 to 5 millimeters in diameter. The pain inflicted is very sharp, skin would turn red and typically no open wound, but typically doesn't last and will not break bones. In the school, during my time, less so nowadays, it was applied for repeated disciplinary offenses after going through different stages of punishments. Extra homework, standing in the corner, picking up trash, detention after school, track and field exercises. I'm not saying it's not open to abuse, but such a cane, if really unfortunately applied by an abusive character could be served as a way to work off rage and would not result in permanent damage to the body, nor death. Again, I'm not advocating this as a first approach to education of the child, but it is something that, when used properly, is a tool. In the past, it was customary for the parents of the child to gift a symbolic rattan cane to the teacher of the child. Anyway, I'm just trying to offer my two cents on the issue. Last bit, it is forbidden by law for any physical punishment here in Germany against children, so no one should worry that I'd beat my kid. Boone, thanks for the message. It is difficult for me when someone says, you know, it really doesn't draw blood. Yeah, there's whelps. Yeah, it's red. Yeah, it stings. Yeah, it hurts. But I mean, they're not bleeding. I blanch a bit when I read that, you know. It typically doesn't last and will not break bones. It doesn't seem like a reasonable excuse or rationalization. The child is given a chance to present a defense before the cane is used. I mean, to me, this is, it's kind of an alarming sentence. If I'm to be honest, it sort of conjures this trial scenario in my mind. You, know, you bring the child in to present a defense before the flogging will begin kind of thing. And I don't want to be overly dramatic about it, but that's the vibe, that's the temperature of, of the, the email in my own mind. Let's go back to the switchboard. Area code 417, you're on the Thinking Atheist radio podcast. Who's this? This is Barbara Schulte. Barbara, we're talking about corporal punishment in the name of God. What do you have for the show? 
Well, my I was raised Catholic, strict Catholic, rosary every night, uh, confession uh, at least once a month on a Saturday. And, uh, yeah, my father was a big believer in spare the rod, spoil the child. And we go so far as to beat all of us if one of us did something wrong, just in case we'd done something wrong. <laughs> well, tell me what you mean by beat all of us. Well, he he would, like, let's say my brother. My brother was usually the instigator. If my brother did something, he would get a spanking. And usually the spankings, you know, I don't know if you can consider beating, but there was oftentimes blood involved. Your father spanked them to the point of bleeding? Yes. he. One time my brother, I even told my father, one of my earliest memories is of him spanking my brother with a tree branch. And my brother was wearing green shorts. He was probably about four, five maybe. And yeah, the blood running down his legs. That's one of the first things I recall as a child. All of you received this treatment? Uh, my brother received the worst of it. And in fact, when we eventually moved to Arizona, the state of Arizona removed him from the home and put him in foster care. At that point, I was 17 and they figured I'd be out on my own fairly soon anyway, so I wasn't given that option, although I really wanted it. Did you hear God invoked quite a bit during all this? Oh, yeah. it was. He felt like he was needing to raise good citizens, and uh, and God, the, the spare the rod. We did hear that phrase frequently, and sometimes it would even be a case of being in church, and we'd look at each other. There were four kids, and we'd look at each other, and my dad would catch us looking at each other, and we'd get home and get, get spanked for that. Spare the rod is just this sort of common thing. We're hearing the phrase over and over and over, and of course, it's part of the title of the broadcast. How much of this, in your estimation, was him doing his godly duty, and how much was him just being unable to control himself? Was he a man of bad temper? Yes, he, was a, he had a very bad temper, and he went beyond the normal, you know, just thinking he would go so far as to hide behind a door and jump out when we'd come home from school and, and lay into us then. I got it several times that way. Wait, he uh, ambushed he, you when you walked yes. in the door at home? Uh-huh. What was the purpose for that? Just to en- enhance the fear factor? <laughs> yes, yeah, and it and it worked. It was it was a really great tool. I did I peed my pants more than once. Jesus, how could you ever want to go home, Barbara? That's the thing. He he actually disowned me about 10 years ago and uh, under the premise that I no longer believed in God. But really, I think it was because I called him on his abuse of us, and he didn't want to be faced with that. So I've gone 10 years without talking to him for the most part, and he just left a message on my phone a couple of months ago saying he was getting old and wanted to talk, but I haven't talked to him yet. He may be coming to the point in his life when he's having regret about the relationships he damaged so dearly and the life he squandered. You know, this is a common story. And, you know, it's hard for you as the child to really know what to do, or maybe you do know what to do. You're going to just keep your distance. You know, he had his chance and screw him, that kind of thing, or something else. That's that's uh that's a good question. I I don't really know him anymore and I've worked through the majority of my childhood abuse and so I don't really you know, it's not something that I used to have nightmares. I used to sleepwalk and and I'm still somewhat hyper vigilant. If somebody comes up behind me I I freak out really easily. 
But for the most part, I'm kind of past it. I don't really know him, but I probably will call him and and just see what he what he has to say. Well, I'm not, I'm, you know, an expert in this area, but just mm-hmm. as a friend, if we were talking over coffee, I would encourage mm-hmm. you that you don't owe him anything. You know, right. I mean, whatever you do, make sure it's on your terms. People like to play the family card. You know, I'm your father. This is no yeah. way to to treat your father. Here I am extending the olive branch. You may hear some of that. And if I was just a buddy and I was listening to this, I would say, you get to draw the lines of acceptance in your own life. You know, you, you're not obligated to allow him in to perhaps do further damage. If he wants to come in and maybe create some healing to say some apologies to try to build bridges, I think that's totally valid. I mean, I'm all about second chances. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, it, I can understand if you would want to uh, proceed cautiously. What would you say, uh, because I do think my dad doesn't do anything without an ulterior motive that benefits him in some way. Uh, and I think the ulterior motive here is that he knows he's getting close to death. And I think he feels that he might not get into heaven if he does. He's got four children and two of them don't speak to him. Uh, so I think he might want to, I don't know, it, I can't really say amends because I think he's just doing it so he can get into heaven. If it's about him, I'm less sympathetic. If it was more about you, I was a bad father. I hurt you. I've lived with regret every single day. I want you to know how sorry I am and how beautiful you are. If he was making this about you, I would be a little more generous, I think. If Mm. this is just a, a damaged guy grasping for eternity at the very end of his life that's not on you uh, <laughs> and that's something that you you know i would be curious to see with those in the comment section i'm sure there'll be many opinions many more wise than my own uh, but ultimately i think life is about boundaries and family family is they're masters at crossing over boundaries and saying that blood gives them the excuse to do so and, you know, mm-hmm. he, he had his shot. He did a tremendous amount of damage. And I would like to see you, now that you've had this time to heal, to be able to move forward instead of perhaps being dragged backwards. If he's approaching you in a generous and sincere way, hey, you know, if he wants mm-hmm. to have a conversation, I myself might entertain something like that in my own life. And the reason I, I think I have such a strong opinion, and I don't think Natalie will mind me sharing this, is that her own father was not the best guy, you know, her bio dad. uh, And he disappeared from her life at a very early age. And there were a lot of wounds there. And he had gotten much older and he reappeared on her radar. You know, she was by then a mother of her own children. She had her own life. She had already moved on. And this man, her father had lived all these years with tremendous regret about the man he had been. And even though he was still inhibited, he still wasn't a fantastic guy. He was trying in his way to undo the damage that he had done. And he reached out to Natalie and she in turn sort of reached back to him. And they developed in the last years of his life kind of a relationship. They were able on some level to be father daughter again. And she was with him at his bedside the night that he died. And I think about that. And and that's why I think, you know, if, if he really wanted to to reach out and do the right thing, I'm all about that. If he's nervous about a jewel in his crown, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, you, you're going to get nothing from me. And you know, I want to make sure here that I'm 
I'm clear. Her story is not your story, is not everybody else's story. Everybody's circumstance is unique. And so this may not be anything that you want or desire or need in your own life. And if that's the case, wonderful. Good for you. You owe him nothing. His actions created consequences. And for you, those consequences might be you never speak to him again. And that is just fine. The overall point is, is that you get to determine where the boundaries are, what the decision is. You get to decide for yourself how you're going to populate your own life and whether he'll be included in that. Do you have children of your own, Barbara? I do. I have I have two biological children and then two kids that I that I call mine. <laughs> I guess this is probably a stupid question, but do you spank them? Well, I did when they were little. Um, my daughter probably up until about age three. Uh, this is embarrassing, but I I did make a wooden spoon one time to spank her with because that's what I was mainly spanked with, and I had painted on it with puff paint. I painted hearts because I wanted her to know that if I ever had to use it on her, (laughs) this sounds so horrible now, but if I had to use it on her, I wanted her to know that I was doing it out of love. And I used it one time on her and not even that hard, but it left little heart prints on her butt. And I felt so horrible. I was just, oh my gosh, I felt so horrible and so guilty. And then I just, I couldn't do it anymore. And nope, never spanked her again. Did you have sort of flashes from your own childhood when you were punishing your daughter? I mean, did you think about your dad at that second? Not at that time. That was me attempting to to do it better than my dad did, to do it out of love and not out of anger and mental torture and, and that kind of thing. I was trying to do it for the right reasons, but but it ended up not feeling right after all. Barbara, your your story has a lot of tragedy in it. Give me some good stuff. Do you have some good <laughs> stuff in your life right now? I mean, I'm, I'm asking you to manufacture the happy ending, but I need oh. to make sure you're all right. You doing all right? Uh, yeah, actually, we... Um, I do really well with my children. I really like the relationship that I have with them, that they that they can tell me that maybe I didn't do the best job here or there. Uh, you know, we, we can talk about things. I'm pretty open, and you know, they know that I did everything for the best that I could, you know, that I was always thinking of them. Whereas my dad, I'm pretty sure he was mainly thinking, ooh, I'm really mad, and I'm going to take it out on my children I, I never did anything like that, and, and they understand that. But they know the background I come from, too. And so It's always interesting to see people who live these types of lives that seem to result in nothing but regret. And you grieve for them because you think, you know, if you'd taken some of that energy and you had, you had created something beautiful and positive and spoken and acted positive things into the lives of your children, imagine what mm-hmm. you might have today. It just hurts the heart to think about what he lost. You know, he lost you. Yeah, and his grandchildren. He doesn't have anything to do with them either. And I was going to say, he did, uh, when he was in the process of disowning me, um, it it all occurred during email, and he said, uh, I said, you know, you've never apologized or anything. And he said, well, I apologize to God. And I was like, well, that's nice that you can apologize to an invisible being that you didn't actually harm. You harmed us. Yeah. And he yeah. was doing it in God's name to begin with. Yeah I'm, yeah, I'm not hugely sympathetic, Barbara. I mean, I, I really want your story regarding your father to, to have some kind of a punctuation mark that is a positive one. And, and that remains mm-hmm. my hope for you. But ultimately, you'd get to decide. You know, you get to decide the temperature of your life, the people you allow in it. And 
If you have family that you love and love you, wonderful. And otherwise, family is the family you choose. I've come to that sort of epiphany in my own life. Just because you're on the family tree doesn't mean necessarily that, you know, you've earned a spot in our circle. It's about something a little more, a little deeper than that. And uh, you got people around you that love you, Barbara? That I do. And like I said, I was a high school teacher for six years and I've taken in several of my students and then a couple of them I do consider I do consider my kids and I you know I'm, I'm really honored to make them part of my family and so in that respect I've kind of tried to make amends for my, what my father did and you know you feel helpless as a child and so I know what it's like and you can go forward and try to make a difference in other people's lives you're making a difference we love educators and nurturers <laughs> and positive people on this show. Barbara, thanks for sharing such a difficult story so transparently. And uh, and here's to uh, nothing but good stuff here for the years ahead, okay? Okay, thank you. It's been nice talking to you. This conversation is just getting warmed up. We're going to continue in part two next Tuesday. I'm going to feature part of an article written by Dan Errol. Dan's been on the show before. He is the author of the book, Parenting Without God. And he had done an article that was picked up by Time Magazine, which highlighted some research done by Yale University and the Yale Parenting Center and Child Conduct Clinic about spanking. Does it work? Does it not work? Does it help? Does it damage? We're going to talk about that. More perspectives from our listeners and, of course, my interview with Janet Heimlich, author of the book Breaking Their Will. So I'll see you back here next Tuesday as we continue with part two of our broadcast and have a great week. Follow The Thinking Atheist on Facebook and Twitter. Watch dozens of original videos on The Thinking Atheist YouTube channel. And visit our website for resources, links, contact information, the editor's blog, and more. TheThinkingAtheist.com As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.